Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Cricket Yorkshire podcast. I'm your host John Fuller and this time we're going to do something around a Q&A that I put out recently to newsletter subscribers and, and folk on social media. Essentially I just asked a very open question, send in your questions around cricket and I will endeavour to answer them which was yeah, probably a bit big-headed. Um, I don't claim to have all the answers on anything and everything to do with cricket, but it could be quite good fun to see what came in. So, what did come in? Well, uh, an extraordinary range of uh, qu- questions to do with club cricket, um, all sorts. Actually, nothing on England cricket particularly, which surprised me given uh, everything going on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, essentially, it kind of boiled down to uh, a bit on overseas cricket um, and overseas players for club cricket. Uh, we'll get on to cricket tees and various other stuff. So a real range of questions. So thank you so much to everyone who emailed in or tweeted or sent me messages. I, I picked a, a small selection. Unfortunately, I couldn't answer everything. Um, so if I haven't addressed your question apologies I might drop you an email if I can and kind of answer it that way instead Um, before I start I'm looking out now and it is snowing which is uh, beautiful but also a bit of a sign that the cricket season's around the corner Um, it's yeah we're just about to get into April here in the UK if you're listening further afield and the end of March was freakishly warm uh, and it kind of gets you excited about the, the club cricket season. Uh, and the last couple of Marches actually here in West Yorkshire, it's been warm. We've had a sort of sunny spell and the temperature shot up. And then sure enough, for the start of the cricket season itself, it generally gets cold again. And in this case, snowing. I think it's only today here where I am. Um, so I don't think it's going to settle, but it's certainly... A lot, lot colder. Um, but that won't put us off, frankly, because cricket is here soon enough. In Yorkshire, you get the first friendlies probably um, 7th to 9th, something like that. And then a week later, leagues are kicking off, if not sooner. So we tend to be quite early starters here in Yorkshire in terms of uh, competitive cricket. Uh, and just one of the many reasons why I love cricket in this county. Um, But we'll probably cover a bit of that maybe in this Q&A. So without further ado, I will pick a question and see where we get up to. So the first question is from Steve Jordan, who I happen to know is chairman at Sorby Bridge Cricket Club, Calderdale Way. So thank you very much for emailing me, Steve. And his question is quite a long one. I'll read it out in full, mainly to remind myself, but also because it's got a few threads. So Steve asks, do you think putting cricket back on terrestrial TV and playing test or county matches over weekends, so maybe Thursday to Sunday, and even starting them at 2 to 9pm, so cutting out tea breaks and a shorter lunch, is the only way to get younger people playing cricket, or should we be doing more to pressure the powers that be to get cricket back on the school's sports curriculum? Uh, I think that covers quite a lot of um, different things, which is uh, yeah, a fascinating question. So I'll I'll give a few thoughts. Certainly, um, you mentioned terrestrial TV to start with. Um, there, there's certainly been moves since, obviously, Channel Four in 2005, and everything going uh, over to Sky except for 
very kind of rare highlights uh, and often at weird and wonderful times. Uh, I do think things are moving in the right direction um, in terms of both women's cricket uh, and sort of test highlights for the men um, at a, a time that people can actually watch them. Um, so I, I think that's a positive and if we can get a test match in full back on terrestrial TV, uh, I don't know if that's possible, well it's certainly possible if the powers that be in Parliament vote it through, um, but whether that actually happens, who's to say? But I, it's, it's encouraging, um, gently encouraging I'd say in the sense that more is now visible and isn't behind a paywall. Um, Although that said, I'm not sort of anti-paywall. Uh, I currently get BT Sport, and by chance, obviously, that covers the ashes, whether <laughs> whether or not that's a, been a good thing to watch. But, um, yeah, they seem to have quite a bit of TV uh, and sort of cricket, both in terms of West Indies and New Zealand, if that appeals, and then some of the series that England are involved in. Um, so I've been sort of soaking that up as much as possible. Um, but... Yeah, to be honest, I think the landscape is changing and has already changed in terms of how people consume cricket. Obviously, in the 80s when I grew up, uh, it was all on terrestrial TV. You could just sit there as I did uh, and happily absorb it all for eight hours. Um, and it was just wonderful. But now with social media and um, packages being sold not just in terms of terrestrial TV but kind of highlights uh, and social media and digital packages you know a lot of the bite-sized moments of wickets and and key bits are all already sliced and diced and sent out to Twitter and Facebook so that's how a lot of us kind of enjoy uh, it's obviously not highlights or test matches in full or anything like that but it is part of the overall I suppose consumption of, of cricket um, and that, I think that's a good thing um, you kind of go on to talk about the rearrangement of timings of, of test matches um, I, it, it always struck me as a bit weird but then it's just a packed schedule that no two games seems to be the same so there's absolutely no consistency or sense of where you are um, in any given week to be honest and that's just because of all the other formats there are but um, if there could be some sort of solidity there and certainly as you say over the weekends or towards the back end of the week that would help um, and in terms of timings you, you Steve addresses uh, an important point around start times and kind of when they happen um, I, I think a, a bugbear for many years for many cricket fans has been the, the loss of time and just how long it seems to take you know, um, I know I'm not comparing apples with apples by looking at sort of club cricket, but um, we just crack on and do it. Um, there's an Olympic amount of faffing um, at international cricket, and I know people need hydration and all sorts of stuff, um, but it just it can take an inordinate amount of time to bowl an over, put it that way. Um, and for people who love cricket, uh, that's fine, or actually that's still frustrating, let's be honest, but um, if you're actually talking about, as this question partly does, getting younger people into cricket, um, I, I don't imagine that's a, a selling point. Um, and I suppose we ought to nod, and I know some people will roll their eyes or throw something at um, wherever they're listening to 
But I should mention the 100 uh, in the sense that that has obviously had a, a decent amount of terrestrial TV, uh, is bite-sized and has got a good audience. You can't sort of deny that whether or not you think it's um, going to destroy the fabric of the game or anything else. Um, it's an interesting model to see how else we can use that sort of approach to other parts of grass, um, test cricket or, or international cricket. Um, and I think the final bit of the question is around school sports. So I wrote an article with the Yorkshire Cricket Board's um, help and sort of guidance a couple of years ago now, I think, for cricketyorkshire.com. And I learned a lot about, I suppose, school, school sports and grassroots kind of school cricket. Uh, and I was surprised, actually, the problem for me uh, as an outsider, knowing very little, it has to be said, was just how I suppose things change on a whim. It's not on a whim, but it, it does seem a bit odd. Um, and that's the nature of sporting cycles. You'll have a cycle of sort of four or five years. A governing body has a plan and then it changes. Um, and suddenly, you know, that has enormous repercussions for, in this case, kids uh, being able to access sport. Um, and the... The, the kind of reasoning for that or my thinking there is there used to be more of a focus on secondary school sports uh, and and obviously we then had all-stars and dynamos and, and the age group and the thinking switched to primary. And I'm not saying there's one or the other or you can't do both, but I suppose there's there's only so much money and resource and so people have to make choices. But I think that emphasis changed within sort of four years and it's quite a different approach um and yeah it, it kind of it seemed a bit muddled to me so uh, more sport at schools and more cricket uh, obviously is going to be a good thing um the challenge on the ground i guess is first of all with all the other sports that now kind of have um leached into that's quite a uh, not a great word. I guess I meant bled in terms of sort of ink on a page. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? They're competing. So, you know, there's all sorts of other sports now competing with cricket where once it was the summer sport. Um, and there's just the reality of it uh, in terms of it taking lots of time potentially. Well, that's the perception. It doesn't need to, of course. Uh, there's all sorts of ways you can play cricket for schools where it's bite-sized and it's lots of fun it's very everyone is involved but that's the perception still uh, and I think that's probably the barrier for people going into schools working development like the YCB and others is to kind of get that message across um, but you know that's part of it ultimately how do you get more um, yeah more cricket lessons or, or more schools playing cricket just in say Yorkshire for that matter I I was kind of surprised there are a chunk of schools that have some sort of cricket access, but a huge amount, obviously, that choose not to. Um, and that could be a budget reason. It could be all sorts of other reasons. Uh, and I guess the key thing is often it's that point of contact at a school. If someone happens to like cricket or have a link with cricket or see that it's potential, then they may well end up doing an assembly or some lessons. Um but if not, then, you know, you're kind of going in trying to almost sell the message. And that's difficult. Um, so, Steve, that was a, a very rambling 
uh, answer. I don't know <laughs> to what extent I addressed it. It was quite involved. We we had quite a few threads there, but it was a really interesting question. A bit on terrestrial TV, hopefully there's more to come. A bit on the timing of games, uh, both in terms of during a week, but actually during the day as well, when you potentially do that. Uh, and then lastly, school sports curriculums and kind of getting more cricket played in, in schools. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully I, I at least touched the surface of those. Um, and I will obviously write more about those kind of subjects at some point on Cricket Yorkshire. Um, if you search Google, I'm sure you can find that school sports one. Um, but for now, thank you very much, Steve. I will crack on with the next question and hopefully see you down at your cricket club at some point in the summer. So the next question is from Ackworth Cricket Club. John O'Gillespie, who is a coach and junior chairman, uh, I'm reading his email, so this is not me making stuff up. Safeguard officer and dog's body, apparently. Sorry about that, Jono. Lots of hats, like lots of cricket clubs and volunteers that clubs have. Uh, and his question is around overseas players. So he says, at Ackworth Cricket Club, we're considering bringing in our first ever overseas player and wondered if you had any advice on what you've seen work and what pitfalls to avoid. Also, what are the best cricket shoes to wear on a mur? Which I think he's joking, <laughs> joking about. Although I am duty bound to mention a world famous cricket guide that I update each year and I, is easily, like by a mile, my most popular article on the website. So I must be doing something right in Google, but um, best cricket shoes 2020 guide is on Cricket Yorkshire. You'll be able to find it. So. Um, there you go, Jono. If you haven't read it already, I'm not sure I dress in terms of wearing it on a mower, but I'd certainly look at um, things you could look out for in terms of fitting and cushioning and various other stuff, grip, spikes, you name it, different brands. So hopefully that's of use to you <laughs> and anyone's listening to this podcast around the world. Um, but to answer your question around overseas players, it's a tricky one. Um, first of all, do you have a budget? Um, if you're a Premier League club, you might have some money to spend in terms of getting them over, flights, accommodation, jobs. You might be paying them or you might not be. Um, some clubs choose to go through their existing network. So it could be uh, a link they've got with an overseas player, and um, sorry, an overseas club, say in Australia to pick a, a country. Uh, maybe a player that you've got has played in another country and has forged a link there, and that can be a really useful resource. Um, uh, alternatively, some use an agency, and obviously there's a fee involved with that, but they have expertise. Um, I would go with one that's accredited by the ECB, and you can Google that. Uh, they will have advice on all sorts of things, from sort of visas to all sorts. Um, so those are the kind of routes, isn't it, really? DIY, so you do it yourself or through someone you know, um, or you pay a professional organisation like an agent to do the dog's uh, body work, to use Jono's term, for you. Um, and I guess the challenge is, it, it is tricky, um, particularly because it is difficult to... Wow, it's snowing heavily now. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... Uh, the Cricket Yorkshire Garden is uh, currently 
well, it's not yet white, but it is definitely falling pretty uh, solidly. Um, so we might be up to our ears in snow by the end of this podcast. Um, but sorry, to go back to the point around overseas players, it's an interesting one because part of the challenge is obviously deciding how good they are. Uh, and that might sound easy, but the challenge actually is to compare standards of cricket and club cricket in different countries. So is your Sri Lankan batsman who has hit 14,000 runs in their Premier League, um, how does that compare to you know, an ECB Premier League in Yorkshire or maybe a first division of some other league? Uh, and it, it can be tricky to work that out. And there's obviously there's all sorts of other factors as well. So, uh, well, for, for a start, do they bowl bat? Do they do it all? Um, have they got coaching qualifications or can they bring that as an extra element? Um, how are they going to fit into your club? You won't know that till they come. But um, it can be a, a big culture shock, as it can be the other way if uh, players come from the UK and go and play overseas. Great learning experience, I imagine. I've never done it. Um, but some sort of embrace it and some find it tricky. Um, so, yeah, there's a, all those kind of dynamics, really. Um, and so advice in terms of um, first ever overseas player... I would probably do the stuff you're already doing, Jono, and ask around. I'd talk to other clubs in your league um, and just find out who, you know, how they, they've gone, what their experiences are, where they've sourced their players, uh, some of the challenges they've found, so hopefully you can avoid those. Um, if they have used an agency, who they've used and, and what that sort of entailed, what the costs were. Um, but ultimately, you just won't know. It is a bit of a stab in the dark. Unless you're signing a sort of um, a first-class cricketer or a, you know, a professional with some serious uh, credentials behind you, which gives you a bit more certainty, it's a bit of a step into the unknown. Um, and I guess that's part of the excitement. Um, it depends how much money you're shelling out as to how much you expect in return. But any overseas players comes with... Um, expectations don't they that's the reality um, but uh, I think it's really exciting uh, I've only been to Ackworth once it was for a now this is going to rack my brain I want to say a, a Yorkshire League final probably about 10 years ago I know the competition has ended now and my memory is like a sieve so it will come to me or someone listening to this podcast might be like Yes, it's that, but it's a kind of uh, Yorkshire Championship, I want to say, Cup Final. Um, and Whitley Hall, I think, were in it. Um, but anyway, I, okay, I wrote about it on Cricket Yorkshire again. You could probably Google it from years ago. Glorious day at Ackworth. Um, really nice ground to visit at the time. And I'm sure you still are now. Um, so, yeah, good luck for the season. And I hope you find someone... If you haven't, you might have already, you might have signed them already. Um, but if not, I hope, uh, yeah, it works out. And it'd be really interesting to hear either through the podcast or people emailing me or um, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Cricket Yorks, Y-R-K-S, if you want to tweet me or there's a Cricket Yorkshire Facebook page. Um, yeah, any thoughts about overseas players, um, what's worked for you, 
maybe your best overseas player in your league or, or for your club in terms of its rich history um, and any advice you give to Ackworth, that'd be really interesting. Um, so I hope that I've answered that. So good luck, Jono, and good luck, Ackworth. Um, and I will move on to another question. And that, I don't know if you can hear that, is the cat meowing in the background, but we will press on because <laughs> this is a live podcast. <laughs> Um, and the next one actually is really tricky. I haven't prepped this, by the way, so I will fumble my way through it. It comes from Phil Moston, so thank you very much, Phil. And he asks, Hi John, one thing I've always wanted to understand better is how does a speed gun work? The cricket ball is decelerating from the moment it leaves the bowler's hand and the, the speed is measured as the time an object takes to pass between two points, which is true. He says knowledge of it. Well, he might be knowledgeable, I'm not. Uh, therefore, my question really is, where are the two points situated that are used to measure speed? And is it an average over the 22 yards or at some point, e.g. from the first yard after release? Also, and... May I commend you on your very long question. Also, does this vary between grounds? I've noticed that the same group of bowlers will all be faster or slower between two tests, suggesting to me that the, me sorry, the measuring distance not method has differed. That was an extraordinarily difficult question to uh, speak. I, I think I just about did it. And let's crack on and answer it for Phil. Um, first of all... I know absolutely nothing on the subject, although I do have a story that I'll weave in to do with my own bowling speed, which may interest you or not, which we'll get to in time. Um, so yes, essentially, it's a laser, isn't it? Or it's um, firing between two points. Uh, and it's from the moment of that, as far as I understand it, again, if you're screaming at this saying, no, that's a complete load of old rubbish, I won't be offended. Uh, I know very little about the subject, but I am interested as a former uh, bowler. I was about to say fast bowler, which anyone who's seen me play will chuckle at heartily. Um, left arm pie chucker is the usual label I give myself. But um, yeah, we're all... Uh, obsessed with speed now, certainly at international level, uh, but also I think it's a fun way to um, yeah bring a little dimension to club cricket. Um, and I have yeah I've gone along to these sessions. The Yorkshire Cricket Foundation did a sort of fastest bowler in Yorkshire speed gun test. Uh, I think for a couple of years. Um, and my understanding was it's from the point of the laser leaving. Uh, well, whatever point you choose, frankly, um, to hopefully the 22 yards, otherwise you're slightly, well, again, it, I suppose it's a consistent measurement of everyone's bowling to the same distance, but it's between two points, hopefully 22 yards. Um, it will certainly vary between grounds, that's for sure, um, because naturally when a cricket ball hits a ground, it will lose momentum. And if it's on a fast track in Australia to pick someone um, with a bouncy track, um, it's going to lose momentum um, less, or certainly it's going to lose less speed than if you are hurling your Exocet missile down in April <laughs> on a spongy 
wet and possibly mud-like surface in certainly grounds in Yorkshire I've played at. So yes, uh, to answer at least part of that question, it will cer certainly vary enormously. Um, so um, I don't think it's... It's an interesting one because there are different measuring types. I don't know at, say, a, a test ground um, if there's a microchip embedded in the ball um, and then it's when it leaves the ha hand to where it tracks it to. I don't know. Um, again, there may be a company out there who's willing to do a competition with Cricket Yorkshire and we will happily write all about speed guns and then give away a speed gun as a prize. So, but uh, essentially between two points, um, it's whether you, it's after you release the ball, um, if it's that smart or um, it would make more sense to me logically that you have two set points probably on either side of a ground, uh, you know, from the, the two creases. Uh, and those are lasers and then it tracks the ball hitting those lasers and you can get a speed that way. Again, he says completely blagging it. Um, that would seem more sense to me uh, because that still addresses Phil's points around uh, different speeds at different grounds because obviously the ball hits the surface. Um, as I say, you can buy different speed guns and cricket balls, I think, probably now, they're certainly going back 10, 15 years, I messed around with them, where they it was in the ball itself. Um, I think that was, dare I say it, not entirely accurate. Um, I do remember, I've got a couple of stories about speed, um, buying one of those balls, and it was kind of a, like a plastic orange thing that was really heavy, which will affect it, ironically, the speed of the ball in all sorts of ways. Uh, not necessarily accurate to a, an actual cricket ball. Uh, and I'm sure one of the early times I held it, sort of said <laughs> I bowled about 95 miles an hour, which I was delighted at and crushed when I realised it was about 40 miles an hour slower in reality. Um, but my story to go off on a bit of a tangent, um, again, I'm not sure, it may be a different version of Cricket Yorkshire, so it's probably not on... The, the website now because I had a few kind of early iterations before I started to use WordPress which is the CMS probably about a third of websites in the world use um, and therefore my content is on there I think it predates that so I don't think the articles kick around but I I'm not sure why I I went down to Lords but I did maybe I just thought it's something I would like to do and I sort of got their co cooperation at the indoor school at Lords at the MCC Centre there, uh, and they have uh, you can buy a, um, or you certainly could. I'm sure you can now. You can buy a, a kind of day or half a day pass or whatever it is, and they'll measure your speed because they've got all the tech there set up. Um, and it was at a time that I think I was in my 30s, so we're going back a decade. Um, I was coming towards well certainly the the tail end of my bowling career I had not played for ages um you can see I'm stacking up the excuse leading up to the the great reveal of the speed um and I was it was out of season I was very unfit uh and it was a bit of a shock bowling as it always is you you don't play and then you just bowl and all sorts of muscle groups just scream at you 
Um, but after kind of warming up, I got a bit of coaching and and then hurled it down a few times. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I think it was 69 or 70 I was clocked at, which um, I bowled quite a bit quicker when I was actually a bit, well, quite a lot younger. <laughs> um, but as we both, uh, all of us know, listening to this, uh, speed's kind of irrelevant um, if you don't know where to position it and uh, use a bit more than just that metric. But it was it was good fun, definitely. So um, I think the Yorkshire Cricket Foundation had, had clocked people at about sort of 85. That was That rings a bell. Um, and I remember early doors when sort of speed guns were on telly and stuff. I think it was Show of Akhtar of Pakistan against... Um, Marcus Trescothic of England and he hurled down a ball that was if it wasn't 100 miles an hour it was very close and it, I think Trescothic kind of he either cover drove him or he sort of carved it deliberately over the slip for six um, or four and it went like a rocket and you know that was that was it really it was kind of wow that's fast okay it's just gone on the boundary because it was wide and got the treatment so yeah, speed is nothing, as you all know, without some sort of accuracy. But it's always fun to see who's bowling what. Um, and Phil will have noticed that I've skirted around probably his question skillfully. So if there's a, a speed gun um, company out there, or anyone selling them, a retailer who wants to link up with Cricket Yorkshire, uh, I'd love to hear from you. We can do a competition, we can give one away, uh, and I will happily promote you um, on the website and we can have a bit of fun doing that so we'll see if anything comes of that but thank you very much Phil for that question um, and on to the next one and the next one comes from someone who is in my past um, which is intriguing I know um, and that is Mike Bailey who is um, based in Austria or he, he certainly was I believe he is um, and I know him because he was scorer at my junior school in Somerset. Um, we knew, known each other for years on. Um, and he sends a question from Austria around the Women's Cricket World Cup, which is heading towards its conclusion. Uh, and he asks, who have been the surprise packages of the Women's Cricket World Cup, either individually or as teams? Now, at the point of recording this, um, Australia have won um, against the West Indies, actually, um, by 157 runs at the Basin Reserve. Um, Australia being, I think it's fair to say, red-hot favourites. Um, uh, and, and I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't followed it closely more just in terms of watching games, but I don't tend to do that enormously. I put myself through... England's test series, three test series in the West Indies, um, actually quite watched quite a bit of that, but that is probably less usual for me. I tend to dip in and out uh, and also cover a lot of games, not cover, sorry, watch a lot of games on social media and, and bits and pieces. Um, so I follow the tournament loosely. Uh, I guess I, I, I've kept an eye on how England have done, which, you know, they were really on the precipice, weren't they? Um, a, a number of defeats early doors and they sort of turned it around won a tight game I think against New Zealand and a sort of 
um, yeah, did did very well really. So they are due to play, uh, I think it's South Africa at the end of March. Um, I think that's Christchurch day nighter possibly um, in the semi-final. So they've made the semi-final, which was looking extremely dicey. Um, so to answer Mike's question, uh, with I have to say limited knowledge, I think the West Indies um, surprised a few people, not because they don't have quality players, but they I think they beat New Zealand first up narrowly at the start of the sort of group stage. And then they beat England and they sort of had a bit of momentum. And um, you, you kind of don't like England ever to lose, but it's always good to see teams kind of mix it up and, and I suppose challenge maybe some conventional thinking because New Zealand certainly is hosts um, very good players in their side um, and yeah England's defending champion so West Indies probably not the surprise package uh, in the sense that they're a good side and they have good players but um, yeah they kind of they Probably opened things up in terms of the group stages nicely, early doors. Um, and then England have built momentum, and, and they're not a, by any means, they're obviously one of the favourites as past winners. But um, I, I was thinking it was looking extraordinarily dicey, but they had a few games left in the group stages where they could um, kind of squeak through, and they. I suppose it's the size um, sort of sign of a class act that you you don't you get any kinks out in the group stages and you build momentum and you get through and then at the knockouts you're hopefully cooking on cooking on gas and kind of uh, able to take on the the better sides. Um, it's hard to see past uh, Australia to be brutally honest, but you just never know. Um, I. Yeah, I don't sort of cover women's cricket, or I cover it at grassroots, but I've stopped doing sort of county cricket and what used to be Yorkshire Diamonds now, Northern Diamonds, the professional side. Um, yeah, my focus, men's and women's cricket, is is really sort of grassroots specific now. Uh, but I do remember interviewing a few very good players, Beth Mooney, when she had a stint at Yorkshire, uh, and I think, I think I'm right in saying Renthorpe Cricket Club. Um, that was her sort of club when she was in Yorkshire, which is a phenomenal player to have at your club or involved in coaching or um, passing on. Cause she is um, absolutely top draw. Um, so yeah, I've kind of meandered as I often do with questions, but hopefully I've answered that uh, to the best of <laughs> to the best of my ability in the sense that I. Uh, yeah, I kind of dip in and out of it, both men's and women's cricket. Um, and I have everything crossed. Obviously, England can uh, get over these last couple of hurdles, which would be a, a fantastic achievement. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed there. And I look forward to covering uh, certainly women's cricket grassroots, the uh, different clubs and, and leagues that I follow and I kind of write about and get other people contributing to so keep an eye out on cricketyorkshire.com and if you're listening to this and you're involved in women's cricket in yorkshire in any way shape or form could be a uh, a coach obviously involved at a club or you're a player and you want to write something then yeah get in touch i'd love to have uh, a wide 
kind of um, I suppose contribution. I I'm aware that I write most of what I put out on Cricket Yorkshire, although it's it's improved a lot because a lot more people are writing for the site, which has always been my intention to give it a, a broader perspective as possible. So yeah, in terms of women's cricket, if there's anyone out there who wants to contribute, then do get in touch. I'd love to love to hear from you. Uh, so there you go, Mike. Thank thanks a lot for your question. Um, I hope everything's going well. I think you're involved still out in club cricket in Austria, so I hope everything's going well with you uh, out there. Uh, and we will move on to the final question. I think it's the final question I've picked. And inevitably, predictably and perhaps, well, predictably, <laughs> it is to do with food. Um I managed to bring it into every podcast episode recently, so sorry about that. But um, in fairness, you all had a break of a couple of years with COVID when it literally wasn't allowed to happen. So it will not surprise you to learn that the question is about cricket tees. And John Andrews, who is at Skulls Cricket Club, um, this is his question. So thanks for the question, John. Morning, John. I hope you're well. Our league has just held a vote amongst clubs, the outcome of which is to get rid of the necessity to provide a tea at games. We are at the same time in discussions to attempt to become involved in the ECB Premier League system. So that'll be interesting. Um, I know you like a, a nice piece of cake while at a game, which is a massive understatement, but also true. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this? And he finalises his email with the very heartening news that we as a club will be continuing to provide a traditional cricket tea um, which is very exciting I have already eaten my way around Yorkshire several times and I'll continue to do so it's a, a part of my cricket journalism that I take with well just incredibly seriously and professionally so I will continue to do that this year and report Back to everyone listening and obviously reading on Cricket Yorkshire. Um, to kind of address the, the cricket tees topic, um, a quick roundup. I was really disappointed. I understood why with COVID uh, that cricket tees weren't allowed. Um, and then we had, that was 2020 and then 2021, it came back and was allowed, but there were an enormous amount of restrictions that I'm sure many clubs didn't feel comfortable either doing uh, or being able to understand the legalese around it, so they just chose not to. Um, we'd also had a, a real shift around the fact that bring your own became normal because that's what you had to do. So no one was serving any food um, in England and Wales um, during COVID, it's certainly 2020 season. Um, and, and that opened a, a door, frankly, for a lot of clubs and a lot of leagues to go, okay, well, do we want to keep doing this? Um, I rather stupidly assume that clubs would all leap back, but actually the reality is for a lot of clubs, the need to put on a cricket tee is not something they want to do, and it's a hassle. It's another thing to do for a, a busy volunteer. There's a cost implication, obviously, and trying to get a, a great cricket tee to offer that to your side and anyone coming to your club but at a price that doesn't cripple you or make it uh, nonsensical. So 
there's different dimension. A lot of club actually thought, you know what, we don't want to do this anymore. We'd rather simplify it because it takes it out of our hands. We don't have the cost. But also, you know, players coming to our club aren't forced to buy whatever someone randomly happens to put together. Um, as a player and as a writer over decades covering grassroots cricket, I've had some fantastic teas. I've written about them on cricketyorkshire.com a lot, um, but also I've had some appalling teas <laughs> where it's clear the club um, either has no funds whatsoever or no will to do it and is doing the bare minimum to tick a box. So um, I think you should have the choice. You know, I hope cricket tees don't disappear altogether. I don't think they will, but I do think leagues, um, well, they already have given clubs the choice as to whether and voted on it, I'm sure, across the board. And it's down to clubs, really, you know, to decide. Um, if you do have it, it needs to be fair. It needs to be some sort of way that, you know, um, it's it's kind of legitimate and fair across across the board so you can't be a club that's always offering teas and then you go everywhere else and no one's making the effort so that can be tricky but I do know it's a it's a topic that's surprisingly controversial and divides people um, I think across the board in terms of there's an even split um, uh, so yeah I I hope we still have cricket teas where possible um, and I think as a spectator, the dynamic is really interesting. I go to a club, <coughs> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Ironically, I have just had a slurp of tea. So um, hopefully you didn't hear that. Um, yeah, I've been to lots of teas, um, teas um, grounds as a spectator. And it's just part of it. You know, conversations flow over food and drink, don't they? Um, and it's a real shame that we lost a lot of that, but I do appreciate the other side from the volunteer point of view. Um, I do like a nice piece of cake, lemon drizzle, if anyone's asking, uh, particularly fine. Um, and what are my thoughts on that? Well, as long as it's fair, um, it's up to leagues to put to clubs, which I know that they do, and then for it to be... Um, dealt with over the season but I think a lot of clubs have also gone for a sort of hybrid in the sense that if they've got a local caterer or maybe someone in their village or town that can do teas you bring them in you're still offering stuff but you're kind of outsourcing it which um, I've seen everything from kind of pizza ovens and people you know something like that or um, some, some other mobile catering that rocks up for a few hours um, that's a really good idea uh, again it just means that it takes it off a club uh, but you're still offering food and it's great for spectators so um, yeah if you've any thoughts yourself you're listening to this you want to drop me an email it's just john john uh, j-o-h-n at cricketyorkshire.com uh, or tweet or facebook whatever you want um, It'd be, be nice to hear your thoughts on the world of cricket tees and where we're at right now as of 2022, which I'd expect with uh, everything relaxed in the UK in the sense that there's no government restrictions currently. Uh, depending on when you listen to it, that might obviously change. But at the moment, we're set to start the season unrestricted. I don't know if that encouraged more people 
to have cricket teas. I'd imagine it would actually. Um, yeah, I'd imagine it would um, if you're of a mind to to return and you don't have to jump through quite as many hoops as you used to. So that has got me thinking about my first game of the season. I've no idea what that will be, but I will be seeking out food um, and uh, look forward to that. I'll go off off this podcast and research and see what I can find. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much to John Andrews Skulls Cricket Club. Um, They are continuing to provide a traditional cricket tea. I don't know what the tea is like at Skulls. Presumably, John, awesome. Uh, I may have to come and find out uh, and uh, be a sort of secret shopper (laughs) Or, or write an article about it or not, or just sit there and enjoy and scoff my face. Um, On which hardship, I think I'll probably wrap up this podcast. A real range of questions there. I hope you enjoyed me blathering on and hopefully answering some uh, topics. There or thereabouts, anyway. I had good fun sort of talking about them and having a think on the hoof. Uh, And I think that's all there is for this episode. So thank you very much for listening, wherever you are in the world. I know we've got listeners all over the place. Uh, it's really good to have you on the podcast, uh, or cert- certainly listening to it. Um, I always make this ask at the end, but if you don't follow me on social media and you like what Cricket Yorkshire does, um, obviously you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook, um, at Cricket Yorks, or Cricket Yorkshire has a Facebook page. Um, and to be honest, the easiest way to to kind of hear about all that Cricket Yorkshire does is to like the page. If you don't, um, with Facebook's wicked algorithm uh, encouraging everyone to basically buy advertising, (laughs) uh, you don't get to see most of the posts um, because they want you to obviously pay for the privilege. So if you like the page, that's another thumbs up. You can follow it as well. I don't mind if you do either or both, but at least then you'll hopefully get to see more of the updates and, and stuff on there. Um, and if you'd like to um, follow the newsletter, I do that probably about twice a month, uh, or weekly in the season when I'm organised. Uh, I'll give you a bit of a flavour of life behind the scenes, what it's like here, uh, and, and articles coming up and stuff that I don't always share publicly. So uh, that's just cricketyorkshire.com slash newsletter and you can sign up there. So I think that's about it for now. Um, If you're not on cricketyorkshire.com in a while, go and check it out. And I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Really nice to have you all uh, listening. And until next time, look after yourselves wherever you are. And yeah, over and out. Take care. Bye. (laughs) 